as we began this morning in our, in our adventure of looking through the story of the scriptures in the Old Testament, as we see that Christ has always been the foundation of that story. It's always been about Christ, and God is bringing about his promise uh, to bring restoration to humanity and, and calling us to be restored to him as a holy people once again. We continue our story with Noah as we continue looking into these pages. Noah and the curse of the ground. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam committed the sin, Adam and Eve ate the fruit that was forbidden by God for them to eat. They broke the harmony between a holy God and holy man and brought a slew of consequences other than sin and death. They brought pain and sorrow for themselves. And God points this out in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. He says unto Adam, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat the bread till thou return to the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and then to dust shalt thou return. So Adam brings this curse of the ground upon humanity. And it's going to be much more difficult for them to, to do the things they ought to do and to bring forth the goodness that God intended for them to bring forth. Thorns and thistles what it brings. So the ground was cursed. And as time passes, Adam and Eve continue to suffer the consequences of sin in the world. And time goes on. We see how it affects the lives of their children with Cain murdering Abel after he worships incorrectly and is rejected by God. And it spills off into the rest of humanity and the rest of their lineage. And that's the story of mankind, cursed and corrupted by, by sin, constantly struggling and conflicting against God, the holy God. As the Bible reveals, as time continues to go on and lineages are mentioned and people are, are uh, you know, named in the lineage of, of Adam and Eve, we come across Noah in Genesis chapter 5, verse 28 to 29. And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son. <clears throat> and he called his name Noah. And that name Noah means rest. He called his name Noah saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. When Lamech holds this child in his hands, he says, This child will remove the curse. The curse of the ground. And he'll bring us rest from the work of our hands. Whatever that curse was, the lineage of Adam knew. They knew the work, the toil, the suffering that it brought. And they were looking for rest. And Noah is prophesied to remove and to bring them into that rest. Sin continues to increase in the world to the point where, of course, in Genesis 6, we read, God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, that every imagination of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. God was so sorrowed in his heart because of this good creation that we saw and read about in Genesis. He looks at it and says, it is good. He creates man and says, it is very good. And now he looks upon the earth and says, it is bad. It is, it is so bad and corrupt that he just is going to destroy it. And he's sorry that he even made it in the first place. And that because of the influence of sin. And so God's plan to deal with this destruction or this, the, the, 
The destruction that man brought into the world is to bring destruction to it. And so he foretells of this in the, in, to, to Noah. In Genesis 6, 8 through 9, we read, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God's plan is to bring destruction to this wicked world that it had grown to such a point that there was only evil in the heart of a man, uh, of, of mankind who was created in the image of God to represent his holiness and to bear his, his glory in this world is now only corrupt and evil continually. And how sad. And he looks at it and says, I'm going to destroy the earth. So he foretells of a destruction that's going to come and he warns Noah about this. And then God gives Noah instructions on how to avoid this impending destruction. In Genesis 6, 14 through 21, what we see is God gives Noah the dimensions of the ark. He tells him how wide it needs to be. He tells him how long it needs to be. He tells him how tall it needs to be. How many, how many stories it needs to have. It needed to have three stories. And he says, put a window right in this specific place. And you're going to pitch it within and without with pitch. He gives him all the dimensions that he needs to make. He gives him all the materials that he needs to use. Go over here. You're going to use uh, gopher wood and, and you know, this, or this particular type of wood. And, and this is what it needs to be made out of. And this is the, the pitch that you must use. He gives him the design that he must use to make this ark. Exactly giving him everything that he needed for the purpose of avoiding this destruction. Noah's response to all of these instructions of the windows and the, and the length and all, and, and not even that, but the purpose of this was to preserve life. Because he tells Noah to gather up together all male and female of all creatures. And uh, you know, in Genesis 7, this is something that Sean pointed out to me years ago. I think he asked me, how many animals did Moses put on the ark? And I, I was just, I don't know. And he said, well, no, Moses didn't put any on the ark. He said, Noah did. And then, he, and then I said, oh, it was two, two of every animal. And he said, wrong, wrong again. So he pointed out in Genesis 7, actually, it was seven pairs of clean and one pair of unclean. So there was quite a few more animals than, than we're led to believe in the cutesy kid story that, that we're told. Uh, it was much more. And God tells him to prepare for this uh, flood by going into this ark and storing food for the animals and for the people. But the purpose of this ark was to preserve life. And so what Noah's response is, we find in Genesis uh, 6, verse 22, is, is that he did according to all that the Lord commanded him. He followed the instructions that God gave him to avoid this destruction. And so then the flood occurs after Noah has spent, you know, he spent a hundred years building this ark. He was 500 years old, the Bible tells us in Genesis 5, when God commanded him to build this. And then the flood happens. And it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the deep, a great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. He was 600 years old. It took him 100 years to prepare for something he had never seen. Hebrews reveals that they had never seen rain. And God tells him now it's going to rain and it's going to flood. And so he's, he spends 100 years preparing in this ark. And finally, when he's 600 years old, the ark or the flood happens. And it's time for this ark to be put to use. That great thing that Noah was working for 
although he had not seen these things before, was diligent in obeying the commandments. And I want to point out what it says in verse 15 through 16. It says, They went up into Noah, into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of, of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Noah received the instructions from God, the dimensions, the design, the materials, the purpose. He obeyed what God gave him, those instructions. And it was God who shut him in to the ark. Noah was incapable of knowing that there was destruction coming, else God told him. Noah was incapable of creating a design to save himself from that destruction. But thankfully, God gave him, through his grace, gave him instructions. Noah was incapable of shutting himself in to that life-preserving craft. But the Lord was capable of doing all of those things. And, and God is the one who shuts him in to that ark. And that's a very important detail. And then, all flesh died that moved upon the earth both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life and all that was in the dry land died. We might often see this story portrayed in children's books as cute and cuddly with all these animals, but it wasn't so. Imagine the death of all things people running to high ground, mothers with their children, doing everything they could to try to save themselves or their children, gasping for their last breaths of air as they realize this whole time they could have prepared, and now it's too late. There's no way to avoid this outcome. Can you imagine what Noah experienced I hope that those walls were thick because it would be horrible as people come to the ark and are wrapping against the walls just and beating on the sides, just begging to come in. Please let me in. <clears throat> it was a horrible thing, and it was due to the destruction of sin that, that God did these things. This flood lasted about a year. They were out there on the water. And what's interesting to think about is that Noah created, through the instruction of God, created this craft, went inside, and was shut into the ark. And God used the water to destroy sin and wickedness upon this earth. And Noah was raised up from corruption. And this life-preserving craft, because he faithfully obeyed all that God told him to do. And because he did this, he was able to preserve life and start life anew. In Genesis 8, 13, through, uh, 13 and 15, it says... And it came to pass in the 600th year, so they were out there for a year, 
And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. It was time for them to, to get off of the ark. There was a certain period of time where they were, were, remained in the ark until the ground uh, dried up, but then it was time, and they went forth. And because Noah found grace in the eyes of God, because Noah faithfully obeyed what God told him to do concerning the ark, uh, God shut him in and preserved his life, and now sin and and sin and the corruption of man, only evil continually, is destroyed as they're lifted up in this, in this picture showing us being raised up and living in new life. So when the waters recede, his family enter into a whole new life in a cleansed world because sin has been done away with, the corruption of sin. Now when Noah steps off of this ark after God tells him to get off, the first thing he does is offers a sacrifice to God. In Genesis 8, verse 20 through 21, it says, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the sweet savor. So he gets off of the ark and he makes this covenant or he, he, he makes this sacrifice with God and God is pleased with this sacrifice that Noah makes. He smells his sweet smelling savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. You see? After God brought about this, this plan, Noah makes this sacrifice. The Lord is well pleased. They're in a cleansed world. And God removes the curse of the ground. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. So with sin removed, God issues this this blessing to them and says, I will remove this curse. And remember that prophecy of his birth? Noah brings rest to his people. And he fulfills the, the hopes of generations before him for this day of rest where man will not toil with their hands any longer. And he fulfills that. What a beautiful story. And now with things cleansed and, and life is renewed, Noah and his family come out of the ark to start all over. God reissues that blessing that he gave to Adam and the, and the responsibility of being image bearers. Uh, he says in verses 9 through 7, or chapter 9, 6 through 7, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And in verse 2 of that same chapter, he tells them about the fear and the dread of all the animals being upon them. Again, reminding us of the dominion that God gave to mankind upon the earth. And so he reissues this charge and this blessing to, for them to be image bearers and to, to remember that as they live now in this new world. And so they get to start all over again. And because God entered into this, uh, God made this, uh, this, saw this sweet-smelling savor and issued this commandments to Noah, he enters into a covenant with him and promises that he would never destroy the earth again with a flood. In, in verses 11 through 13, it says, I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. So God establishes a covenant with Noah that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. And the sign he gives them as proof of that covenant is a rainbow in the cloud. So when we see a rainbow in the sky, it is a reminder of that covenant that God made with, between him and all of humanity. That, that flood, a flood would never again destroy 
the earth. So, this is a beautiful and wonderful picture of Jesus Christ. You see, humanity is under the curse, not the curse of the ground, but the curse of death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we read that this morning. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We are cursed with the, and plagued with this problem of committing sin, and our life is filled with toil and rigor that it ought not to have. And sin continually increases. And the thing is, we know, just like those generations before of, of Noah, we know that it should not be this way. And God knew that it should not be this way. And so he promised a redeemer that would come. We read the prophecy in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God promises of a son that would come and be born to remove this, the bringer of this curse. And that's Christ. Christ was a promised son that would bring rest to his people. In Matthew 1.21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The rest that Jesus is bringing is not the rest from the curse of the ground. He's bringing us rest from the curse of death. And he saves his people from their sins. And just the same way God had instructions for Noah to build an, an ark and to do certain things in order to bring about this, this salvation, he gives Jesus Christ the same types of instructions and gives him very specific things he must do in order to bring, bring about this salvation. And Jesus, just like Noah, has perfect obedience to the commandments that God gives to him. Philippians chapter 2, 6-8, through eight, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Jesus did the work he needed to do to come into this world and to take on flesh and to suffer and to, to labor. Working towards the goal of being put to death at the cross. And he perfectly obeyed what God commanded. And because of this, God saved him from, from death. He saved him from the destruction that he went down into. Acts chapter 2, 4, uh, 24 through 27. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. More also, moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, because that will... Not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou shalt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. David, when he wrote about this psalm, was writing about Jesus. And that's what Peter is talking about, the resurrection of Christ. Jesus was raised up from the dead because of the obedience that he yielded to God. And it was through the power of God that he was raised up. And, and Jesus said so. I mean, we, we, read psalm, uh, we read verses like in Romans where it talks about the Spirit of God. Or we read in Romans chapter 6, the, the, the power of him who raised up Christ from the dead. It was God's power that, that gave him the instructions. It was God's power that, that gave him the power and the ability to be uh, protected from death and to be raised up. And he would not allow his Holy One to see this corruption. Jesus 
because he offered this great sacrifice to God, having done this great thing and being brought up from this destruction, God enters into a covenant with him. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 15, but Christ being come an high priest of good things to come, and by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. By his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Jesus gave the perfect sacrifice to God, and God saw that and was well pleased, and he enters into this covenant with Jesus Christ, and Jesus ratifies that with his death and his blood. And now, God issues this commandment, and that through Christ, because Christ did this and conquered death, death would no longer be a plague to humanity. And he removes the curse. He came to remove this curse and bring us everlasting peace. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 17 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He took part of flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Death and the fear of dying puts us in slavery. And Jesus comes to remove that curse from our lives. And that's exactly what he did through his death and his resurrection. He removes the curse and he brings everlasting peace through his obedience. And through death, he destroys death itself. That verse continues on. It says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You see, he, sac- he makes reconciliation for us, and between us and God, and he brings us closer to him through this sacrifice and through this covenant. This covenant of renewal. This covenant of peace. And so just as Noah entered into this vessel and was protected and put in there by God and raised up from corruption, the word of God becomes flesh and in this vessel is protected because he's following the commandments and the instruction of God. And he goes down into death. He goes down into Hades and is raised up from death, saved from destruction. And in that act of raising up, just like Noah, and the corruption is destroyed, Death is destroyed in that act of Jesus being raised up from the dead. Do you see the... I hope that you can see the deep connection here and the deep parallel. Now, what about us? You know, we talked about things that we would learn from these stories. There is significance for us. We are under the curse of death. If we are outside of Christ, we absolutely are. 
Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We have the problem of the curse. It still echoes in, in our lives when we commit sin, or if we're entangled in sin, we're in bondage and we're in slavery to these things. But the good news is that Jesus is the remover of that curse. Second Timothy 1, verse 10, But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The good news is the message of the gospel, that though we are under this curse of death, we can be removed from that curse, or rather that curse can be removed from us if we come to Christ who brings life and immortality to light. He brings that knowledge to us through the message of the gospel, how we can have life, how we can have immortality, and, and be saved from that death and be part of this abolishing of death. But the thing is, is that God, just like Noah, gives us commandments to obey and instructions to follow. See, Noah had to build that ark a very certain way in a very specific way to avoid that coming destruction. And that ark was of God's design. The instructions, those instructions are what ultimately would save Noah. And, and we read of his faithfulness and are inspired by this in Hebrews chapter 7, or 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is, a, which is by faith. Noah had the confidence in God's word and in God's instruction and God's, God's warning that destruction was coming. He had so much so that he, would, he was moved with fear and did the instructions that God commanded him to do. And we are also given instructions just like Noah. And we ought to be inspired by this, faith, this, this passage here speaking of Noah's faith to follow the model that Noah left for us. Have enough faith to listen to the instructions that God gave to us, because if we do, then we can be saved from that curse, just like Noah was. We can be put into the protection and sealed into, into Jesus Christ, the vessel that saves our, our souls. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, and being made perfect, speaking of Christ, he became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. If we have the same type of faith that Noah had, we can have the same type of result that Noah had. We can be saved from the destruction. That ark, when we look at the story of Noah, when we look at the, the connection and the parallel to Christ, that story involves you and me too because the flood and the ark represent our salvation in Christ. You see, Noah was commanded to go into the ark and God shut him in in order to raise him up and protect him from death. Jesus was sealed in the power of God and was raised up from Hades to eternal life. And the same is true for you and I. Peter makes these connections for us in 1 Peter 3. This changed the way that I look at 1 Peter 3. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when, the, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. See, they were raised up while sin was destroyed. The like figure, whereunto, baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, 
the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you see the deep connection that is there that is apparent? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I can be sealed into Christ and be raised up from death. And when we do that, the sin and the, the curse is removed and that precious blood of Christ cleanses our conscience. If you want to know how to have a good conscience before God, this is the answer. This is the answer of how to have a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Christ, being sealed into the, to Christ and being raised up. So when we're baptized, we're showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but we're showing this recurring theme that we find through the scriptures of, of being raised up from destruction while God destroys what remains below. We're submitting ourselves to God when we follow the instruction so that he can join us to Christ through that spirit. And just the same way God shut Noah in that ark, he will, he will seal us into Christ to preserve our lives. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened, he's made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses. Romans chapter 6 says the very same thing. And when we think about the fact that Noah was raised up to now live in a new life, that's what we get when we're baptized into Christ and raised up. We get the opportunity to start over and walk in new life in a renewed state. Our sin is destroyed in the water and we're raised up in a new and purified life. Romans 6, 4 through 6 says this very thing. Wherefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We can think about the story of Noah, how they came out of the ark, having been raised up from that destruction, and have a brand new life. We can think about the new life, eternal life, that Jesus brought because he, was, he died and went into Hades and was raised up to new life. And so when we're baptized, we're not, just making, we're not just asking for salvation and God to remove our sins. We're showing a picture of what has happened and becoming a part of this story of being raised up from destruction to live a new life. If we've been planted together in the likeness of Christ's death, we shall also be united together in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. As we go into the water, we're raised up and the sin is destroyed through the water, really through the power of God, because that's how God commanded it to be, and henceforth, that henceforth we should not serve sin, and when we obey these commandments and are sealed into Christ, God makes us part of his covenant, the covenant of the New Testament and his blood. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Christ talks about that, the blood of the New Testament that is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so, just as Noah was raised up from corruption, just as Jesus was raised up from the death, so you can be raised up from your sins. And, and God will do all the work to destroy those things through the instructions that he gave you. Just like Noah didn't seal himself in. And Jesus was sealed in the power of God. You and I, through faith in the operation of God, can be raised up. And that makes us part of God's covenant, this blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of our sins. And as a sign that we're part of this covenant, you know, just the way God gave 
uh, Noah this sign of, of the rainbow and the cloud to remind him that he's part of this covenant. God gives us a sign to know that we are also his children and part of this covenant. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We receive the Holy Spirit, and this is what, what Peter taught in Acts chapter 2.38, we receive the gift of the spirit, not, not miraculous abilities, and I'm not talking about charismatic things, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit comes into our life and makes us, it, it, it makes, it's a sign that makes it known that we are the children of God, and it's a sign in a, of the covenant that we belong to with God through Christ, through his blood. And if we don't have that, we will not be raised up at the end. If the Spirit of Christ dwell in you, then you will be raised up. But if not, then, then you won't because you're not part of the covenant, and that is what the Scripture is showing us and teaching us. This is important to know because just as the same picture is true of Noah being raised from destruction and Christ being raised from death and us being raised from our sin, when we're baptized, we're not just making a declaration of, of, of God's power making us part of what has happened. It's looking forward to something else that is revealed here in this scripture. That one day Christ will come and our mortal bodies are going to be raised up again. That spirit that is within us is going to raise up our bodies from the corruption of death. And death will be destroyed. And we'll be raised up to live in new life. Not just, not just spiritually as we're talking about here making new choices. We will have a new body. And live in a new cleansed world when the judgment comes. And this time of destruction, the Bible is very clear and does not, does not keep us in the dark about the fact that this is coming. Because there is a time of destruction that God warns about, just like he did to Noah. And, and it's going to come up all of a sudden. And we don't want to be like those people who waited and ignored Noah and ignored the things he was doing. And then all of a sudden, it was too late. Because one day, all of a sudden, it's going to be too late. Luke 17 Verse 26, and it, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, and they drank, and they married wives, and were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. It was all fun and games until it, it started. that rain started to come down, and the fountains of the deep broke up. And then it got real, real quick. And that's exactly how it's going to be in our, in our lifetime Whenever Christ comes back in the days, in our current days, people are going to be out and about just living it up, eating and drinking and going about their lives, thinking that everything's fine. We're going to keep going on, and then all of a sudden Christ will return, and then it's too late. The blessing is that open warning is given to us. God gives us the opportunity to choose between life and death. And he gives us the information we need today to make the choices we need to secure our place in that better tomorrow through Jesus Christ. And he gives us open warning. Peter talks about this, 2 Peter 3, and he relates this, this uh, story of the flood to what will come. He says, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now the same 
By the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You see, God promised the world would not be destroyed by a flood, but he never said the world would not be destroyed. But it says that it's reserved for fire. And it says, but beloved, be, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Peter is relating the fact that time does not apply to God. He's not giving us some time calculation so we can go through the scriptures and multiply one by a thousand and get the number of years to figure out the day that the world's going to be destroyed. He's relating the idea that time does not apply to God. That day where he made the promise to, to Noah and, and he decided to destroy the, the, the earth with the flood and then he promised not to destroy the earth with the flood ever again, God knew that, that there was a time coming where he would remove this thing once and for all. And, and the point is, the promise is as good as the day God made it when he, when he determined to destroy this world by fire. That's not going to change because time does not apply to God. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. This day is going to happen, and it is certain, and it is true, and there is no changing this. This is coming. And just like the people in Noah's day, we have an opportunity to listen to the word of God that is telling us this is going to happen. And we have the chance to, to make sure that, it, that we can avoid that so that we're not outside of the vessel that will save our lives when the time comes. Because at the end of time, all those that are in Christ, just like all those who are in the ark, will be taken up from destruction and live in a new world, free from the curse. And so will we live new in this new world, removed from the curse of death. And what a day that will be. 1 Corinthians 15 shows us this picture. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and power and authority. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Just as Noah was raised up from corruption... Jesus is raised up from death. And so you, today, can be raised up from your sins, allowing God to destroy that. Because one day, all this is leading to is the same story and the same, the same theme and repetition that we see throughout the pages of the Bible. One day, all those who are in the kingdom and belong to Christ, the righteous, will be lifted up from this earth and judgment will take place and fire will destroy all things. And we'll go on to live in a new world. Don't be prepared, unprepared, rather. Be prepared. Don't be unprepared. And don't lose hope. I want to I stress that. Do not lose hope. It seems like the world is continually growing in sin, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. But I want you to remember that Noah prepared the ark for a hundred years building and gathering food and doing all the things he needed to do 
looking forward to that time. You don't think that Noah had doubts during those times? You don't think he had people ridicule him during those times? You don't think his family questioned what he was doing at times? Do you know how tough that would be to, to continue on for a hundred years preparing for this? Noah didn't lose, lose hope. He continued and he was faithful and now he's the heir of righteousness as it says in Hebrews. Don't lose hope. Sometimes it feels like we're, we're you know, some days it feels like we're just sludging through doing the best we can. And, and we may wonder, is it all worth it? And I'll tell you that it is. It absolutely is. And even when the flood happened and his, all the work he had done was affirmed that it was the right thing to do. I did do the right thing. I did, I should have, I'm glad I did all these things. That flood took a whole year. You don't think he needed reminding? You don't think he needed encouragement even during that time? We need encouragement and we need, we need reminding that we are doing the right thing. We are serving God and we are, we are doing the best we can, working for that day to be part of this story where with the righteous we're raised up from corruption. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you suffering from the curse? Do you feel those results in your life? And you see the toil that you're going through. But you know that it can be better. If you do, it's because it can be better. And there is a promised Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who can bring you rest from your labors, who can bring you rest from your toils, who can secure, securely place you inside of His body and His power and His salvation and lift you up from the destruction that you have in your life today. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.